Hello there, friends. This is Spencer Michaud, and today we're going to be talking about Venus's ingress into the first decan of Taurus. Aphrodite is returning to her own domicile, so that is exciting. Today we're going to break down the first 10 degrees of Taurus and what that means. We're going to take a look at the daimon or spirit associated with Taurus 1, the charities, we are going to take a look at a few fixed stars. Uh, there are actually no as exact aspects that are going to be happening over this transit of Venus through Taurus 1. We will look at a little bit of the whole sign aspects and break that down, but um, interesting times for Venus as we move forward. We will, of course, do an I Ching reading to bring everything together and to hopefully unify uh, this reading for you into some kind of uh, sense of purpose so that you can use this information to the best of your ability. All right, let's dive into it here. I'm going to share my screen. We are looking at a time frame between April the 14th, Wednesday, today, as I'm recording this, and April the 22nd, Happy Earth Day. So again, we will see Venus moving through zero degrees of Taurus, and then leaving this decan as it moves into 10 degrees of Taurus. And uh, we have some interesting transitions that are going to happen over this period of time as well. You can see that we start off this transit with Venus being co-present with both Uranus and the moon, but in aversion to Mars. Uh, it is also in aversion to the sun and Mercury, in the beginning of the transit, but on Monday, uh, on Monday the 19th, we're going to see both the Sun and Mercury moving into Venus's nocturnal home, the fixed Earth sign of Taurus. So we'll have these, these three uh, interesting teammates kind of traveling together. I don't know if you could consider them teammates, but they're sort of consorts of one another because they they always travel within one or two signs of one another. So it's kind of an interesting way of thinking about it. Um, let's take a look at some of the other conditionary factors that we're looking at with Venus in Taurus. We do see that in addition to being in her own domicile, which as I explained in my last video, uh, one of my um, favorite new astrologers, Martine Hermes, talked about domicile lords being like butlers of a temple or an estate, and the exaltation lord being kind of like the owner of that estate or that home. And I thought that was really interesting because when we're talking about Taurus today in general, the combination of the moon and Venus is very important. I thought it, you can even hear it in the way you say it, the moon, right? It's like we're, we're mooing like a, like a cow or like a bull. Um, so I think that it, it's apropos, and I'll break that down a little bit for you. We also see that Venus is the triplicity ruler of the earth signs by day. So she has communal support in this area as well. And she will be on her own terms from zero to eight degrees before she moves into the terms of Mercury from eight to 14 degrees. Um, one of the things that Martine Hermes pointed out that I thought was really uh, important and interesting, fascinating, is in the Hellenistic way of looking at astrology, yeah, it opposed to a more maybe medieval or Renaissance way of thinking about astrology, they don't necessarily stack dignities in scorable um, 
accumulation of points you know each each type of dignity had a, a different role and yes the planet may be more more powerful or be you know carrying out many different functions if it has additional dignities but i i think it may be a mistake to like use a point system to think about oh how dignified is this planet right now because like i said it, it's going to do different things depending on what kind of dignity it has and what i wanted to do is just show you um, one of the ways that I've been thinking about this a lot lately and meditating on how signs work in general. Um, and I think that this thing that Martin, Martin Hermes was talking about with the exaltation Lord being the, um, the owner of the estate has really been, it's been kicking around in my brain a lot. I've been really meditating on that. He also had a really wonderful uh, way of describing the planet in a sign as the potter and the the uh, domicile lord or exaltation lord, whichever one is providing uh, for that domicile at that particular time, is the the clay that we're working with. And just to review something I said yesterday as well was, um, if the domicile lord is not witnessing a temple. The exaltation lord sort of takes over. Now that's not the case here because here we have Venus, who could be considered "quote unquote" the butler of Taurus. Uh, and as I'm recording this, the exaltation lord is home too. So it's like we, we've got everything happening right now. We've got Taurus, the best Taurus, uh, you know, kind of energy that we possibly could, with having both the owner of the estate and the one who is managing the day-to-day -day affairs of the state, of the estate, um, both present in the sign right now as I record this. Now, of course, the moon is going to move out of that position fairly quickly, but something to consider. Now, why would we consider the moon the exaltation lord? And what does that mean that the moon is the exaltation lord? What does it mean that the moon is sort of the owner of this temple or the, this estate? Because I think this is going to help us to understand Taurus. The moon has generative qualities, generative qualities. The moon, according to Robert Schmidt, is trying to collect things. It collects light and it transfers it to other things. So we can see this, you know, this technique that we use in horror sometimes, collection of light. But it, that's its basic function is collecting. Um, and you can think about that. I mean, if you have Taurus in your chart, are you a collector? You know, I know I have Taurus moon and I... I've collected all sorts of various things over the years. I think that the, the latest thing I've been collecting uh, after baseball cards and <laughs> like um, action figures and bonsai trees of all things and guitars uh, is books. Now, now I'm co a collector of books. So that, that, does never, that never goes away, that kind of impulse having a moon in, in this exalted position. Uh, but we are collecting for a purpose. The, the moon is uh, related to the body and um, it's related to fortune. It's related to the, the changeability of being incarnated in form. And I think that it's beyond collecting. I think that one of its main goals or purposes is to bring things into being. 
okay? In addition to passing them out of being because it goes through phasal relationships. So I think that the moon, we can really show us some of the, the, the meaning of Taurus through its generative quality. Now, what role does Venus play? Venus, according to Schmidt, is the harmonizing function. It is trying to create beauty. It is trying to, to bring things together that had been separated. So we've just gone through a, a sign or a period of time where we experienced the separation in the, the Mars and Sun ruled sign of Aries. I think it's really, really important to think of a sign now as having two rulers. I mean, it has other rulers as far as like different types of dignity. But if you, if you really, to really understand a sign, if you think about the ones that have both a domicile ruler and an exaltation ruler, you're really going to start to get to the essence of a sign. Now, there are a few signs that don't have two, that only have one. And those are the, the masculine signs of Leo, Aquarius, and Sagittarius. I believe Gemini also has only one as well. Um, because they, there was some ancient literature that was talking about like these solar sect, um, houses, uh, because they are like the sun, they only have this one ruler. No one else can rule. They, they have power over everything in that sign. So, but I think with these other ones, the, these, all, all the feminine signs, save for Scorpio, which is an exception because, you know, no one else can can uh, rule but Mars there. Uh, so that's the that's the one that I think is singular, as far as uh, that goes. I guess, I guess that you could also consider Virgo as being sort of singular as well. But that one is a is a weird little glitch where uh, Mercury is both the exaltation lord and the domicile lord. But back to the point. The point being that if you think of like Taurus as lunar and Venusian. And if you think of uh, Pisces as Jupiterian and Venusian, if you think of Capricorn as Marshall and Saturnian, you're going to really get closer to the, I think, the essential nature of these signs. Thinking about this in general, just with like, like, you know, Cancer, for an example, right? Cancer is the exaltation of Jupiter, which has demi-urge qualities. It wants to order things and bring things into to being. It wants to use the, the Saturnian blueprint to organize and, and to create. Create it is generative, just like Taurus. They're very similar. Okay, but it's slightly there's different different energy though, a little, little bit nuance, where the moon is the is the domicile lord and the butler, basically. So the moon's bringing things into form. It's collecting, just like Taurus. This is why, you know, if you have uh, if you're a Taurus or if you're a Cancer and you have a friend of a you know a Taurus or a Cancer friend, you probably get along pretty pretty well for the most part. If you have other testimonies in your chart that are agreeing, because there is just really a very a harmonious uh, type of energy between those two signs, sharing you know kind of a lunar uh, signification. I have some of my best friends are Tauruses with my Taurus Moon and things like that. Um, so anyway. Uh, so we're, we're trying to collect and we're trying to harmonize. We're trying to restore harmony after the separation that happened in Aries. So we needed to use the Mars energy of severing and separating to be able to govern 
and create sovereignty and individuality in Aries. So we have the solar awareness of what we want to uh, separate from so that we can take action to become something independent. And now we are taking that independence, that new newfound sovereignty that we have won through battle or through grace, however, however it played out for you. And now we're trying to infuse that spirit into some kind of form, spirit into a body. Okay. We're trying to harmonize that newfound, uh, you know, impetus into a lunar material form. So I thought that was pretty cool. That was a really neat way of thinking about it. And, uh, you know, Martin Hermes has given me all sorts of things to think about. And of course he is a, you know, leans very heavily on Robert Schmidt, who is the, I think the real genius of Hellenistic astrology that we owe a great deal of gratitude to for uh, uncovering a lot of this, this stuff. And, you know, it's really inspired a lot of the, the, the neo- Hellenistic astrologers out there like Demetri George and Chris Brennan, my teacher Chuta Bhava Das, Austin Kopic, a lot of those folks, Ben Dykes, so they're all leaning on those things very heavily, although I would say Ben Dykes leans a little bit more on the towards the medieval stuff. Um, neither here nor there. So we're harmonizing spirit and matter, giving beauty a body. Uh, Venus is both potter and clay in, in this arrangement. And she is providing high quality material to a very skilled craftsman. So when you give good stuff to somebody who knows what to do with it, you're going to probably get decent results from for the most part. Now, there is some mitigating factors in this that are creating a little bit of challenges. Um, this arrangement that we're seeing in the sky right now is... One thing we're having to look at here beyond just the co-presence that we're going to see eventually with the sun and Mercury is that we're going to have a square between Venus and all the, you know, Taurus planets that are going to ingress in the week ahead and both Jupiter and Saturn. Now, this is a mixed bag. So I really think that our experience right now is going to be a mixed bag. Um, one other thing I wanted to say before I get to that is that Venus is still in the lying hidden phase under the sun's beams, so it is not visible in the sky, it will make its evening rise at 17 degrees of Gemini on the 22nd of May. Now, one thing that is improving Venus's condition even further, though, is that there is a Hellenistic technique called uh, a planet being in its chariot, where if it's in its own domicile or exaltation, and in some authors, they claim triplicity, uh, it is protected from the beams of the sun. And ancient chariots had these like awnings on top of them. And you can think of this also, I saw a really cool article about this recently where they uncovered a, a marital chariot, like a, a marital um, carriage type of thing, um, a ceremonial chariot in, in, I believe the ashes of Pompeii or some, something like that where there was a volcanic eruption. And there was, it was, it had this nice, beautiful canopy on top of it. And I think that this is one way of thinking about that, that technique is that there is protection from the beams of the sun. So yes, Venus is still quote unquote combust or under the beams of the sun, but there it's protected. It, there is some kind of special quality to it where it's not being like completely burned up or used up or something like that. 
but but I will say that that its significations aren't necessarily visible. There's a difference between a planet being burned up by the heat of the sun and visibility factors. Uh, Venus is still moving pretty fast because it's direct in motion and, and pretty close to the sun. But really, if the things that we're working on right now, the Venusian things that we're trying to infuse into form are probably going to be delayed until that evening rise around the end of May. And there's further delay that I would say with this as well because of Saturn's overcoming square to Venus. So an overcoming square is when you have like, if you look from center, the planet on the right of center is in the overcoming or superior position. Now here we have kind of Saturn exerting its will on Venus. In addition to Jupiter though, so this is, this is what is neat. We have Jupiter that is trying to help Venus and is exerting a positive kind of long-range ability to leave the past behind. We're going to get honor and merit, and we're going to be creating from the demi-urge that is thinking about the, the bigger picture with Jupiter in the third decan of Aquarius. But Saturn's the big elephant in the room. And remember, from the, the, the concept that I just uh, explained, Aquarius is a very Saturnian temple. It's a very Saturnian uh, image, like Martin Hermes likes to say, um, because it does not have an exaltation ruler. It is sort of kind of Saturn land in its purest form. And Saturn is, you know, the planet of exile, the planet of, it's, it's the original social distancer, okay? Um, it is also a planet of, of kind of the, the grand blueprint. This is one thing I've been learning from uh, Charles Obert's book on the planets, is Saturn provides kind of this, the structural material, and then Jupiter takes that material and, like, makes stuff with it right? He, he orders it. He brings it into, you know, an abundant form, just like Venus does on some level, but it's a little bit different. Venus is more of an attraction principle. It's more of a harmonizing, uh, balancing principle, where I really do think that, you know, one of the reasons we have Jupiter in Cancer as its exaltation is that that's all about birth. Jupiter really is about begetting of children. I mean, in the myth, Zeus was the ultimate uh, promiscuous father. He was the, the progenitor of many, many, many children with, with mortals and with deities alike. So, you know, he's just proliferating. But I think that uh, when we have Saturn in this overcoming position, Saturn's saying slow, slow your roll. Uh, there are, there are, there is a need to think of the bigger picture before you can create. There needs to be a delayed gratification. Remember, Kronos was literally the concept of time itself. So we're going to have to be working with time as we try to harmonize our worlds and bring our vision that we worked so hard to establish in the last few weeks into material form. And there's probably going to be some frustration with that because of Saturn's overcoming square. Um, that doesn't mean we can't uh, find a solution. 
It just means that we're going to have to balance out our expectations. Um, we're going to have to avoid overindulging in the, the delights, the earthly delights that we may be tempted with right now. I know that it's starting to get warmer in my area in, in Michigan and the flowers are out. It's starting to be very beautiful. And I've been, I felt called to being in the outdoors. I've, you know, remember uh, really nice times in the past where I was able to get together with friends and do things um, in the springtime and go for walks and all those things. And, and I can do some of those things, but still not in a, in a place right now where we can, you know, get together with groups of people safely, especially in Michigan as COVID numbers continue to rise and we still are racing against time to, to get people vaccinated and things of that nature. So again, delayed gratification, I think is probably the, the key. So let's break down this first decan and some of the themes with it in particular beyond that. Um, one of the things I wanted to say that will get you a little prepared too, when, when Venus moves into the second decan, Mars will have moved into Cancer simultaneously, and there will be some, uh, some interesting interplay, I think, between those two planets. But let's stick with this first decan here for today. So Jupiter, again, is bringing us an awareness of our gifts, of our abundance. It is trying to organize our lives by um, leaving the past behind. It is, it is facilitating harmonious partings, okay? harmonious um, change, right? Remember that seven of swords is like leaping into the unknown. So you will bring honor and merit to, to your community by, by embracing the unknown and by, you know, venturing off into a, a, a new territory. Um, Saturn also will, you know, it's important right now to have communication between the, the, the insiders and the outsiders, the, the people in power and the people on the periphery right now. I know that in the news, we've seen a lot of, uh, lot of things in the news about social justice and about the way that we govern and the way that we police our communities. We've got a lot of stuff going on in Minnesota right now in regards to um, you know, the George Floyd case and then the other case that just uh, happened recently with a what was claimed to be an accidental, you know, shooting of another, another young African-American gentleman. And um, yeah, it's really, that, that is something I think that's probably weighing very heavily on the collective right now, as we try to bring, uh, we try to restore right proportion with Saturn. So we're trying to restore right proportion between the, the insiders and the outsiders right now. And that may put a little bit of a damper on the, the mirth and the revelry that we may want to pursue the beauty and delight that, that Venus and Taurus can normally represent. Now, Taurus one is associated with the five of wands in the, uh, in the Rider weight tarot. I'm sorry, five of wands, excuse me, the five of pentacles. I'm just going off on autopilot here. And in the five of pentacles, I'm going to show you this card and we'll talk a little bit about that. So here's the five of pentacles, and in it we see two figures outside of a church and stained glass in the middle of like a snowstorm. 
they have has sustained kind of a in, maybe injuries. Uh, they're a little bit threadbare, maybe poor or fallen on hard times. Uh, the book T calls this the Lord of material trouble and the book of Toth calls it worry. Austin Coppock calls this second the plow. So we'll get to that in a second, but let's break down this kind of like more negative connotation with worry, material trouble, things of that nature. Uh, I think that as we go through Taurus and I'll show you the other decans real quick, we've got this destitute position. We've got the six of, of pentacles where we are seeing these two, potentially these same two figures receiving alms or charity. And then we have like this, uh, this figure that has, maybe he's used the, uh, the gifts and the things that he was given to create something. And now he's trying to protect the, the crops and be patient for waiting for his uh, investments to bear fruit. So charity is one thing that is, is very, an important theme that I wanted to talk about today. Um, this material trouble and worry part is that this is a planning decan. The, the decanic ruler, the face ruler is Mercury. Um, in the triplicity system, it's also Venus. So, but if we think about Mercury as the, as the face ruler for a second, we are casting doubt on our material resources. So there may be just this kind of, this examining and exploration about what do we really have? Like, do we have enough to be able to sustain us through these projects that we want to do? Do we have enough to pay the bills, to pay the rent? This is really the vibe, I think, of Taurus 1. One part of the vibe of Taurus 1 is that the impetus for plowing your fields is the fear or the worry that you may not have enough. It is the, the kind of the goad the, um, that is driving us to, to build, to plant seeds, to plan out and do the hard work necessary to infuse things into form. Now, one of the interesting things that I was coming up uh, when I was doing some research was Aphrodite being uh, the wife of Hephaestus. Hephaestus being the blacksmith of the gods and was also kind of a not very attractive god. We have the, the most beautiful deity, Aphrodite, and then the kind of the ugliest, you know, uh, god in Hephaestus. And they were, they were um, consorts of one another, though. They, they were married to one another. So I, Liz Green states it really well, how we can kind of glean some meaning from that. And I wanted to read a little excerpt from you. I'm going to read you some a couple excerpts today from various sources. But this is from the Astrology of Fate. And this is her section on Taurus. She says this, she's referring to the marriage of Hephaestus and of Aphrodite. This is a curious marriage between the beautiful, indolent, and mischievous Aphrodite and her ugly, ill-formed, yet gifted spouse. She despises his ugliness and is forever unfaithful to him yet she cannot be parted from him. I think, this, I think that this pair of figures forms an uneasy core to the sign of Taurus, for there, is in that, for there is that in the sign which possesses the marvelous skill, power, and ingenuity of Hephaestus, yet which is slow, clumsy, and unglamorous. And there is also that which embodies beauty and which despises its own physical imperfection. Whether the Torian acts this strange marriage out through an actual partner 
or whether it forms an inner conflict between the idealism and the earthiness of the sign. Nevertheless, this marriage is a given, a kind of fate. The ego, perhaps, needs to come to terms with the bestial bull, but the bull itself is divided between its coarseness and its grace, and all three comprise the daimon, which infuses this deceptively simple sign. Deceptively simple. Yeah, I think that that's true. I think that that uh, we can underestimate our Torian folks, our Torian friends, because they may not be the loudest, they may not be the fanciest. Many of them are very, very beautiful. There's a lot of Aphrodite in there, but yeah, it's not it, the the coarseness of it is interesting because it's the beginning of spring too. We're not fully formed in Taurus season, right? We've planted the seed. We've got these sprouts coming up and we're, we're trying to tend to, to the fields. Farming is messy. Gardening is messy. It's not always going to look beautiful. You have to get really dirty. Sometimes you have to get your hands dirty and you have to do gritty, hard work to be able to bring the form into being the beautiful form into being. You know, and I think that a lot of your Taurus folks in your life or people that have prominent Taurus placements, you know, there's probably this duality to them where they, they really can be capable of very hard, dirty work and they can create beautiful, beautiful things though from it. Uh, I th- Having a Taurus moon at my midheaven, the way that I work out in the world is a lot of times I'm just grinding it out. You know, I am, I just show up day after day dig dig through the fields, turn the soil over, water the proper amount, and then let it go. Then I do it again. And then I show up and I do it again. And here I am doing it again. I was counting in my videos the other day. I was inspired by the astrology podcast and their 300th episode. Congratulations to Chris Brennan and Lisa Scheim and Austin Kopik and Kelly Surtees and anyone else who's been on that show. I was actually on an episode. It was very fun. Um, yeah, I was talking about my experience at UAC. If you haven't seen that, that's in my guest appearances on my channel. Uh, but I was counting up my things here because I was curious because I don't really number them. And I'm, I'm on like 120, 121, 122 since, since 2018. That's a pretty good number. I think I, and that, that's uh, my productivity has, has been kicked into overdrive in 2021 Instead of one video a week, I've been producing three to five videos a week uh, of a similar length. So that's kind of that Taurus energy. Once you get rolling, it's not the easiest to get started. It's a thousand pound animal. It's a big, big uh, problem of inertia. But once you get going, it's hard to stop, you know, and, and, and the, the way that you uh, win the day with Taurus Midheaven, with Taurus Moon, Taurus Sun, Taurus Venus, wherever we're dealing with with Taurus is consistency. Showing up, doing the hard work, getting your hands dirty, and also having a good sense of um, how to utilize your resources well. Okay, One approach to Taurus, when we think about the spring, we think about the bull, we think about Aphrodite and Hephaestus. One other really interesting approach rabbit hole I dove down into when I was doing research was uh, the the daimon of this particular Deccan, which was the the charities, um, or maybe charis in particular. I think I'm saying that singular of charities. It could be charis or charis. And um, the charities were the, the three goddesses 
that were associated with grace, beauty, adornment. Uh, they were attendants to the gods, to to Hera and Aphrodite in particular. They were they they ritually bathed the gods. They adorned them with beautiful things. Um, they made arrangements for them. I mean, they were in service of these deities. And I wanted to read you something because this this is something that has uh, was really gave me a lot of interesting thoughts. Now, this is a, a quote that I am reading from uh, the OI.com. The OI, the OI, the OI. And I'm not exactly sure which source they are quoting. They have a, a, a resource here. Um, it says H-O-R-H-O-R-A-T period C-A-R-M 321. It looks like a David Pinder uh Pinder? No, I don't know. I don't know who that is. Uh, Horatio? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, if you know that source, let me know because I'm curious because they didn't really list an abbreviation of that in the bottom. But okay, I'm getting too, too focused on the, what doesn't matter. But here we go. I always want to share sources. That's why I was a little bit flustered by that. It says the character and nature of the charities are sufficiently expressed by the names they bear. They were conceived as the goddesses who gave festive joy and enhanced the enjoyments of life by refinement and gentleness. Gracefulness and beauty in social intercourse are therefore attributed to them. They are mostly described as being in service or attendance of other divinities, as real joy exists only in circles where the individual gives up his own self and makes it his main ob object to afford pleasure to others. This is huge. This is huge. It came up in the I Ching. I want to emphasize that. Let's repeat that for emphasis because this thing is so important. Real joy exists only in circles where the individual gives up his own self and makes it his main objective to afford, afford pleasures to others. It says, the less beauty is ambitious to rule, the greater is its victory. And the less homage it demands, the more freely it is paid. These seem to be the idea. These seem to be the ideas embodied in the charities. Hmm. I love that. I love it. And you know why I love that? Because th there is so much more nuance to Venus than just uh, its beauty. It's bringing you good stuff. I, I, you find out what you can get with Venus. Um, it's more. It's more nuanced than that. And as a second decan Taurus moon, I've had to learn that the hard way. What I've learned, and I hope that um, I hope that this lands for you out there. What I have learned is that to create prosperity and abundance, you have to give. You know, if you if you are in service of your community, your ser your community is going to provide for you. I, I wrote down a quote because I was thinking about this. I, I I, this was just came up in my mind. It was like, provide value to the world and the world will value you, right? But when we, when we come from a place of entitlement, when we come from a place of the world owes me this without me providing anything, that's when we run into trouble. And I think that's actually really the key to Taurus in general. Because think about this. In the theme of Mundi, the, the, uh, metaphorical natal chart of the world that was a philosophical device for Hellenistic astrologers 
Taurus is on the 11th house cusp. It was the joy of Jupiter. And by being of service, we can also support others and we receive support. 11th house is, is really has to do with benefactors receiving support. And I'll show you on my chart here, because this is, I think this is really a fascinating way of thinking about this. Let's for, uh, educational purposes. Let's put Taurus on the 11th house cusp. There it is right there. So let's pretend this is the natal chart of the world. Cancer rising. Taurus on the 11th house cusp. Let's pretend that it's the joy of Jupiter here. There's Jupiter. And in our angular triad experience, the 11th house is moving into the 10th house of praxis, of action out in the world. This is everything that supports action. Okay, and usually we have people, groups of people that are supporting us when we are trying to take action. This, you know, there's also a modern interpretation about hopes and dreams and things of that nature. And yes, we have to be visionaries, you know, to, to be able to, to take action out into the world. But think about Jupiter as that demiurge, actions that you take that will bring you honor and merit. And again, when we look at the charities, the actions that could bring you honor and merit is is the joy that you find in service, the joy that you find in attending to other people's needs. And by attending to your community, the gratitude that you, you will generate gratitude, you will generate goodwill, and that will come back to you tenfold. I mean, really, and, and, and we can also generate that by our own sense of gratitude, our own sense of appreciating those that have helped us I think that by appreciating our communities and appreciating our friends and appreciating our ability to serve them, we will be regenerating, you know, the ability to create prosperity. Okay. And this will come up in our I Ching reading because I want you to keep an eye on that. Here's the quote it says the, reg the regenerative power of generosity. <laughs> I love it. I love that. The regenerative power of generosity. And we they have sort of a similar uh, etymology, etymological kind of sound or root to them, that generative quality, regeneration, generosity. Okay. And uh, this took me so long to figure out. I was, uh, I've had a really difficult relationship with money over the course of my life. And for those of you who follow the channel, you probably know by now I have a stacked second house with Jupiter, Saturn, and Mars all in my second house. It's Virgo, but but um, but but that moon is always pulling me out. I have that moon right on the midheaven in Taurus, and it's my teacher. It's my greatest teacher, I think. And I've really been taking the message of like the second Deccan card of not just having my hands out like this, but how can I give? What can, what can I give to the community? And in turn, that will, that will, I just have to have faith that the community is going to provide for, for me, you know? And I think if you put that, like I said, you put value out into the world, people will value you. And that's why I've set up the, the, the model that I have with donation. I, I, I don't set up any expectations. I don't dictate what people can or cannot give. I just give what I can give. And then if people feel inspired to give, uh, whether it is of their time, whether it is of their advice, whether it is of their material resources, 
then then I will be open to receive that. And it is, you know, we make the mistake of dictating how we want to receive from the universe. And I think that this may be one of the issues with the square, with with Saturn and Jupiter and here is we may we may try to dictate how we're going to receive. And that's always a mistake. I think that the 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 functional Venus and Venus and Taurus, the most functional way you can use utilize this energy is to both be open to receive, like Aphrodite, who was adorned by these these very same charities as she emerged from the ocean, glowing with her phosphorescent essence, just glowing with her 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 true self. Okay, you glow with your true self, you give your true self to the world, and you will be adorned. You will have everything that you need if you come from a place of authenticity, if you come from a place of of abundance rather than a place of scarcity. We may have feelings of scarcity right now, and and there is some scarcity in the world right now with Saturn being so powerful. It's showing us some areas where we need to restore balance. We We do live in a world of abundance and scarcity, but they are constantly flowing in change and in relationship to one another. We have spring. We have abundance, and then we have the contraction of fall and the desolation of winter. We have this in every part of our life. We have this in every part of our society. We have haves, we have have-nots, we have times when we have enough, we have times when we have times of lack. But we, what we have to have faith is not just that we live in a, in a universe of unlimited resources, because I don't know if that's quite what we live in. We have a we live in a universe of an unlimited regenerative power. There's a difference. We live in a in a in a universe of unlimited regenerative power. Now, that means that we have to have faith in the natural cycles. Not that we this is where the secret, remember back in the decade ago and the secret was this big thing. This is what the secret I think gets incorrect. The secret was like, you put your mind to something, you can have a Ferrari, you can have, you know, whatever you want, you know, and I don't necessarily think that's the case. If you are trying to, um, let's, let's pretend for, let's, let me mix my metaphors in a really strange way. If you're trying to plant the seed of Ferrari and it's, uh, let's say you've got a little tiny seed and you know that if you plant it like Jack and the Beanstalk, it's going to grow a Ferrari. Okay, let's just pretend that's possible. Um, if you plant that seed in the winter, uh, it, it is potentially not going to grow into a Ferrari. If you plant it in the time frame that is appropriate for growing Ferraris, spiritual Ferraris, <laughs> like, um, it's much more likely that you may be able to bring that into fruition. Now, the real kicker, though, is that sometimes there are certain fertile fields in our life, in certain areas of our life that are faded, and there are certain areas of our life that may lay fallow, that may be more difficult to grow within. Not everybody is meant to do everything. You have to figure out what parts of your life are meant to, what, what fields are meant to be planted, and which ones may not need all of your attention. We can't have 
everything all the time. Doesn't mean we can't be happy and satisfied. Just means that, you know, time is short. And, you know, there's going to be some lessons in, in experiencing lack sometimes. There's going to be some lessons in experiencing, uh, you know, some worry over resources. Maybe that lesson is we need to get, get our hands dirty and get to work. Maybe that lesson is we need to have faith in, in the, the non-material, in the divine to help us through something. Sometimes when our material worlds start to fall apart, that's when we lean more heavily on our spirituality. That's, that's how it works a lot of the time. Now, I'm not somebody who, who uh, thinks that we should c- completely deny the material to embrace the spiritual. I think that they're one and the same. I think that the Tao has taught me that they're just flowing into one another. Forms come and appear and manifest and forms pass out of being. They, they pass into the void and they come from the void, you know, like in this endless cycle. So what we have to determine right now is what areas of life do we have a, a maybe a, a surplus? And what are, where are we experiencing lack? I think that Saturn can tell us where we are experiencing lack. Venus right now maybe maybe showing us a surplus. Maybe Jupiter is showing us a surplus. And Saturn in that second decade of Aquarius has been bringing us, I think, a lot of experiences where we are lacking, uh, you know, social justice and equity right now. Um, we're 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 being made aware that the system that we are a part of is not fair, and that there are still, you know, people that aren't being treated uh, appropriately by our judicial and by our you know police system and that we need to fix it we need to restore right proportion that's what that's i think that's saturn's message right now saturn is also you know requiring us to keep our distance from one another to to overcome a collective uh challenge um covid is a collective challenge it is part of the the commons it is a public health issue which means that our actions are feeding into a public type of experience. And what we do affects our neighbor, affects our community. The choices that we make is not an individual battle that we're fighting. It's a collective one. And I think that this is something else that we can utilize Venus and Taurus with. This can help us to gather the resources necessary to be able to overcome this collective challenge. Because th- this is a communication that's happening between the Aquarius planets and the Taurus planets right now. Is we have to get innovative with with Venus, you know, applying to a you know an adherence pretty soon with Uranus. We're going to have to get really innovative with our resources to figure out over- how to overcome this collective challenge that we're experiencing. And the charities are are speaking loudly to us that you know sharing and and caring will beget prosperity. Service will beget prosperity. If you give to the whole, the whole will become more prosperous and and you will benefit from that as being part of the whole. Think of it as giving to, if you want to think about it selfishly, you you give to the whole because you are part of the whole, you're giving to yourself. And we become so much more powerful if we're uh, unifying to create abundance rather than if we're trying to be these tiny little islands 
creating abundance. And yes, we have to kind of work in a new way that is feels like we're on an island, but we're really not. You're hearing me speak to you right now through this magic of the internet. You get to see my face, you know, every two weeks in a, a, a live stream. We've been able to connect through things like Zoom and and uh, video chats and stuff like that. Hopefully, those of you out there have found some community like that. If you haven't, reach out to me. I know plenty of them that would be more than willing to open their arms to welcome new aspiring uh, astrologers and, and tarot aficionados. So I think that that's my, my treatment of the charities here. They, there were three of them, though. That we, we have uh, Karis, which is the one that was specifically mentioned in 36 Heirs of the Zodiac, that fragmentary text that talks about these daimonic spirits. And she, she was also considered a wife of, of Hephaestus. So she was maybe a, a, another face of Aphrodite. They're, they also called her uh, Aglaia, uh, who was associated with beauty, adornment, splendor, and glory. Um, there was another one named Euphrosine, which was the, the deity of merriment, joy, mirth, and good cheer. And then Talia, which was uh, the was responsible for festive celebrations and rich and luxurious banquets. So we have them as a group, and then we have the one individual one that was kind of associated with Hephaestus as well. Okay, so that's kind of my treatment on on Venus relationships that she's going to be making with other planets throughout this period of time, the charities, uh, Taurus as a whole. Um, we are going to be having to use our patience. We're going to need to plan. We have to delay some gratification. We do have uh, both the sun and Mercury joining the party on the 19th in Taurus. On the 20th, let me show you a few things here. So does that make sense with the 11th house as the, uh, the the 11th house of the cosmos associated with Taurus as well? I just think that that's really a, really an interesting way of thinking about this because uh, it it really um, I don't know it's it's really been been edifying when it comes to kind of understanding just houses versus signs versus planets and all of those things and those those Thema Mundi. Um, houses or places, I guess, would be the more appropriate word. Places, the Thema Mundi places, um, really do match up with the Rider Waite Tarot Deccans very well. And I did a talk on this. You can, uh, I don't know if it's on the internet. I, I will try to post that soon if you haven't seen that. Um, but I did a talk on this for the Great Lakes Astrology Conference, and um, I think it went really well. Uh, and I made these points in depth on that day. All right, let's look at, let's finish this up here. And we'll look at the, the 20th of April. We do see Venus hitting a fixed star at seven degrees of Taurus named Hamal. And Hamal was in the constellation Aries and was the head of the ram in Aries. So this was uh, a point in the sky associated with maybe willpower, determination, taking action over, over thinking things through, forcing your way in relationships potentially with, with Venus being there. Um, this may be a point in time where we, we are disregarding other people's opinions in our relationships. So be careful of that around this period of time. 
Venus also may be trying to soften our headstrong ways. You know, this could be where she's trying to create harmony in the situation where we're being a little bit too stubborn and a little bit too rash. Uh, the interesting thing is the next day, Venus will hit eight degrees of Taurus and can join a fixed star uh, named Shadar. And Shadar is in the constellation Cassiopeia, the queen. So this, this constellation and fixed star talk about having dignity, supporting others with Venus here with quiet dignity, feminine strength. Um, the, this could be like the recovery phase potentially from the day before where we maybe pushed, try to push and use force. Um, this could also be a point in time where we're feeling a devotion to a social cause. Uh, we are seeing that Venus is within a three degree application of Uranus at this period of time. So I would very much encourage you to think outside the box and, and like Prometheus, try to bring fire to humanity with an, a new idea. Um, even if it, there's some things that you have to overcome with it, 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 it's a difficult thing with Venus and Uranus and Taurus where Taurus being a fixed earth sign, um, doing things in a new way is sometimes painful. Remember the, the concept of inertia that I was talking about, but even the, uh, even the bull has to do, has to change, you know, even the bull is subject to the, the concept of birth and death growth, and entropy. So keep that in mind as we move forward through this April 21st kind of period of time here. Then eventually, you know, Venus is going to move into the second decade uh, around April the 22nd. All right. So let me show you the I Ching reading that I did for you all today. Thanks for hanging with me. I appreciate all of you 11th house friends, community people. I'm drawing this on my screen right now. I'm drawing the hexagram number 48. And isn't that interesting? Because one of my biggest supporters slash, I don't know, fans, colleagues, fellow student, I don't know what you would call this person at this point. We've uh, she is a friend of the of the show here, my friend from Finland. Her name is Susanna. She participates quite a bit in these chats and on this channel. And she sent me uh, a message about asking about the well, and that's what number forty eight is. Funnily enough, today I got this message asking me about the well, and uh, it showed up in the in my reading today. It showed up. She, she was saying something about her it's showing up for her. Um, so Susanna is my son buddy. She uh, has the sun at the same exact degree as I do at 15 degrees of cancer. So it's not surprising that we have some psychic, you know, connections every once in a while. Um, so that's kind of cool. So Susanna, this one is for you. Uh, I will break down the well in depth and hopefully I'll be able to bring some more um, clarity to that. So 48 is called the well, the source, human potential, replenishing, renewal, nourishing others. And I go back to this regenerative power of generosity quote. This is about seeing the interconnectedness in all of things, seeking out the systems that provide for all. Hillary Barrett, in her translation of the I Ching, asks these questions. She says, what is the ever-present resource that you are drawing from? What can you do to realize its potential here? 
All right, so the story of the well is interesting. The, the well in ancient Chinese culture was a, a source of um, a communal source of a communal resource is what I'm trying to say. They usually had these wells in the center of a town. And in this, you know, they say uh, in this particular hexagram, they say the well, one can change the town, but one cannot change the well. It neither decreases nor increases. They come and go, drawing from the well. If the rope does not go all the way or the jug breaks, misfortune. So this is like saying we can build a well and we can, you know, we have to maintain it. But the source that the well is has providing for it is, is an eternal source. But we can't access that source if we don't take care of the, the, the vessel, basically, that is going to to help us to reach that water, right? These ancient Chinese wells were lined with wood, okay? And that kept the silt from getting into the water and making the water muddy so that, that it was pure and clear to drink. So the key is if you, you know, if you don't dig deep enough, if you don't dig deep enough into your own eternal source, you're gonna, you know, you're not gonna be able to, to replenish yourself. If you don't take care of your well, which, which again is a communal shared thing. I want, I just haven't, I've been saying this a lot lately because I, I been really frustrated with my community lately. And I, I hope that I'm inspiring community effort right now. And this well is speaking towards that. If we don't take care of our shared resources, none of us will be able to drink from that water. Okay. It will just become a muddy, disgusting resource that is just festering. So it, it, cooperation is required, not only to build it, but to maintain it. You replenish yourself through replenishing others, okay? If you share this water, you know, if you share your resources to help maintain the well, you will be able to drink for it, from it just like everyone else will. Uh, it says a, a properly tended well is inexhaustible, but if it is neglected, it becomes muddy or dries up and no one can use it, okay? So again, talking about the shared resource. Line number two is the changing line, and it is in the earthly portion of the hexagram. It says, shooting fish at the bottom of the well. The jug is broken and leaks. Okay, so we're talking about a situation here where they describe that this is a foolish way to catch fish, shooting them in the well. It can damage the well. And we're talking about shooting with a bow and arrow. Although, you know, I guess you could think about it with anything, but you know, if you are, you're, you're, they're talking about misusing your potential, frittering life away on trivial things, taking, uh, not taking life seriously or living up to your potential. Um, this is about not necessarily taking care of your shared resource. Um, they talk about in this hexagram, too much focus on small personal gains will stop you from the bigger you know picture and it requires you to think more universally i think that this is the thing like and i i keep going back to the the pandemic but the the concept of delayed gratification has been a real difficult one for people over the course of this and remember saturn is ridiculously strong right now in the sign of aquarius it is pure saturn and that we only get the rewards from from a pure Saturn, from the, you know, being responsible, from thinking collectively, 
and using the 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 resource of time and patience and endurance endurance is a key word right and i think that we've been rushing around and and looking at short-term gains and short-term pleasures and desires and couching it in um, this argument of freedom. Uh, and it is really making the longer-term universal big picture difficult. I think that we are muddying our collective well right now, uh, especially in my own home state. I, I'm speaking just from, from sheer experience right now. The well in Michigan is muddy. It is not something that can be, you know, drunk from very, you know, very easily right now. You know, the COVID numbers are spiking. Uh, going into a shared place is accompanied by an enormous amount of fear and danger. Um, our hospitals are full here in my home state. The beds are full. People who need care right now can't get the care that they need. They can't get the water that they need to drink because of the short-sightedness of people and their short-term desires and their inability to delay gratification. So I would, I would encourage you that the, the, the remedy for this, the rebalancing factor, the, the restoring right proportion is it's okay to wait. I know that we are, feel like we're, that the world is passing us by, but the more discipline that we show as a collective I really do think that the the um, the quicker we get out of this thing collectively, and the the less collateral damage happens, the less the well and the jug, you know, are leaky. You know, a lot of the times when people are watching the news, they see all these numbers and they see all these things, and they just are numbers for people, and I think that. If you haven't been personally touched by this pandemic in regards to losing somebody, um, you're lucky. And I know a lot of people who have been affected by this personally. And I think that we get so jaded watching the news and thinking about all the tragedies and things like that. But every one of those lives matters, right? Every one of those people that we lost matters to somebody and could very easily be you. And this this is, I want to state this, this is what, what has been driving my actions lately. I haven't been, you know, very adamant telling people what to do or not to do as far as like vaccines and all these things. But I will say this, the thing that is motivating my actions is that idea that we share this world, that we share these communities. And I want, I just, that is what I hope I can inspire you towards in these last few videos, the last few weeks is what is animating your choices and your actions right now? That has to be your guide. If the actions are motivated by selfish desires, by you know, saying, this is what I want for me right now, then you might want to reconsider that. If your actions are motivated by serving your community, by caring about your fellow person, then I would trust that right now. That's what Saturn is asking us for. That's what this new air age is asking us for. This is not going anywhere. This concept of having 
one action that you take affect a number of people. This is the new reality that we are in. Maybe it's not COVID forever. Maybe it's not a deadly disease. But this is the reality that we're going to have to come to terms with, is that we are not individual islands. We are a, a unified community. And what, what one of us does has an effect on our neighbor, on our brother, on our sister. What one of us does in one country affects somebody across the ocean. What we do here on this earth, you know, eventually will probably affect other planets in the solar system, you know, like as we visit and expand our reach. So it's, a, it's really the lesson of, of community and altruism. And I hope that people can start embracing that sooner than later and realize that you're not really giving anything up. You, you, like again, that, go, going back to the charities, the more that you provide for the, the community, the more the community can provide for you. You shouldn't do it to get, but that's just, that's, I think this is how it works. The stronger our community bonds are, the stronger our community respect is for one another, the happier the individuals are going to be within it. Yeah, it's just, this is just kind of rationally thinking this out. If our communities are, are corrupt and decayed and, and dysfunctional, it's, it's almost impossible for individuals to be happy. Maybe there's a select few, tiny oligarchal select few that are happy, but they're manipulating and taking advantage of others to get to that point. You know, so how can you serve your community? How can you get on board with this new Aquarian air age? Air age. It's not really Aquarian. It's air. Okay. And air, we sh this is the air we share. The air we share. <laughs> See what I said? You know, this, is, this brings me back to John F. Kennedy when he says, you know, and this is cliche, but he says, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. This is going to be like the real concept that, that we're going to have to embrace as we move forward into this, this experience. So let's talk about what this changing line in the hexagram that we're moving towards. What is this energy moving towards? Well, for the time frame when the, the Venus is in um, Taurus 1, we're moving to number 39, which is called obstruction, limping, adversity, impediment, difficulty, hardship, hindrance. And I think this really reflects back the, the hardship of Saturn that we're really dealing with right now. Saturn is super powerful, and it is, it is exerting its influence over Venus right now. But here's, here's the turnaround. Here's, it says obstruction. The Southwest is beneficial. The Northeast is not. It is beneficial to see a great person. Perseverance brings good fortune. Now, in the uh, I Ching system, the Southwest was associated with your friends. It was associated with being receptive and patient. The Northeast was associated with advancement and assertion. So we have to be receptive. We have to be patient. We have to re restore our emotional balance, clear our head, try a fresh, fresh approach. Like a, the river that is flowing, if we consider ourselves the river and the flow, um, this, this is water on top of the mountain, these two trigrams, component trigrams. Sometimes we have to, to build our resources like water to spill around an obstruction in the path, to spill around a, a boulder 
We have to join together with others. Like a little droplet is just going to get stuck behind that boulder if you're individual droplets and dry up and die. But if you become like water and you join together molecularly with others in your community, you become this unstoppable force where you can spill around that obstacle and then everybody can pass through the obstacle. So this says, where can you find help? How can you see the obstacles differently? Can you imagine going a different way? So this is about pooling strength and potential energy to spill around those obstacles like water, falling back on friendly alliances when you meet blockages, connecting with people rather than ideals. That's interesting. We've, we've become segregated into ideological factions lately. We've politicized a public health issue. And I would, yeah, I would encourage you to think about the people in your community rather than seeing them as a, as red or blue or Republican, Democrat, or, or whatever. They're just people. They're just people that you share this earth with. And if you focus on the people rather than on the ideology, that's going to help you make more informed choices, I think. There was a story in this about this hexagram about you the great. And you the great was given the task of conquering a great flood. And he did this by building uh, dikes and dred dredging rivers to divert the path of the water around the obstacles and to, to keep the community from, from going underwater. And he left this with a limp. This is where the limping part comes in. He worked so hard that he, he was, his body just crumbled eventually, but he succeeded. But he did not succeed just by doing it by himself. He succeeded where others failed because he enlisted help. And it, says, it states that specifically in every single translation of number 39. He enlisted help. So this obstruction, this number 39, is about banding together and finding how you can you know, join with others to overcome a collective challenge. All right. I think that's what I've got for you today. I hope that you are doing well out there. Venus and Taurus is a is a nice uh, a nice experience, I think, for the most part. I hope that I offered a, a unique take on it today, or at least a different one, mining some of the the history of this this um, this area of the zodiac and the decanic daimonic spirit. Um, it's really the really big shift for me with Taurus is I don't think that we can succeed being selfish with Taurus placements. We really do succeed through our generosity. So I hope that you can find that in your heart uh, as we move through this. And remember to play a little bit though, too. I think that the other thing about Taurus is you work hard like Hephaestus, and then you enjoy the fruits of your labor. So work hard, play hard, right? Um, balance is the key. Temperance is the key. Okay. Try not to get uh, too... Um, overwhelmed by your own desires and your own uh, indulgences and like, you know, make sure that you use your, your discriminatory faculties to know when enough is enough. Okay. And know when to share. If you have enough, you can share with your neighbor. All right. That's what I've got for you today. If you're enjoying the work that I do here, the most important thing that you can do right away or the easiest thing is just hit that like button that, that helps me to, uh, 
get the algorithm, uh, the algorithm's attention and get these videos out to the most amount of people, hopefully sharing the wisdom with those people. Uh, leave me a comment. Let me know how this Venus and Taurus season is, is going for you. How are you? Uh, what do you have gratitude for? You know, expressing gratitude is, is great. What, what, how can you provide value for your community? What, where do you see yourself providing value? And what are your hopes for, for that and for that exchange? Um, if you want to make a material donation to what I'm doing, I have a, a, a link in the video description below uh, at buymeacoffee.com. Really appreciate um, all of you who have returned energy to me in that form that helps me keep the lights on here. I, again, I appreciate all of the communications that you have, have shown me as well and the, the niceties. That's a form of energy exchange. So however you feel uh, inspired to exchange energy uh, for, for these things, I, I appreciate it and I am grateful for you. And thank you so much for being here today. So be kind to one another, be in service of the whole, and be kind to yourself along the way. And I will talk to you the next time. Peace.